Praise the Lord, dear youth. Uh, it is good to be in the house of God. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to be here, um, to be able to just uh, share a few thoughts. Uh, one thing when I was coming into here, a thought kind of came across my mind, um, you know, because I know a few people from here, a few familiar faces, David, good friend of mine, really smart guy, um, um, so, you know, seeing there's some familiar faces, but then there's obviously the people that we don't necessarily know from first glance. Um, some maybe that I just know from somewhere just by a face, but I don't necessarily know you as an individual. Um, and then coming to a place like this, and it seems like what can, you know, what correlation is there? I know uh, last week uh, we're doing our senior design project for our electrical department, and we had this biochemists come and do a presentation, a lecture, so that we can find a project that would be appropriate. And so moral of the story is he came in, and for two hours he was trying to portray some content to, at least to me, it was completely irrelevant, so it seemed. Um, there was just nothing that I could find. And I'm sure we've all been in moments like this um, where there's someone new, you've never met them, and they're giving some sort of presentation. They're giving some sort of speech, whatever it is. And you got to find that breaking ground moment. you got to find that thing to connect with the person. But one thing that I love about the gospel is the fact that I don't know you. You don't know me, but we are united in Christ. We may not have the exact same understandings and beliefs, but in Christ, we are one. We are the body of Christ. Whether I am going to church in Seattle and you guys are in Tacoma, we are all here for one mission, and that is to glorify the name of Jesus. Amen? That is the beauty of the gospel. Um, and so... With that, with coming here, you know, I wanted to uh, speak on just some things that I've been going through, some things that I've been praying about. Uh, last time I was here, it was a couple months ago, I spoke on a judge, and it was just really heavy on my heart. And so I'm planning a message. I'm like, Lord, bless me. Give a word. And I'm thinking of something completely different. And then there's another judge that just really came and really struck me. So um, it's not because I'm just, you know, I preach only about judges and judges of Israel, uh, but there's just something that really stood out and really uh, did something in my heart. So I'd just like to share that with all of you here. Um, so I think all of you are familiar with the judges of Israel, how everything came about. The Lord leads out of Egypt. He brings them into a land that he promises, but they have to go and conquer this land. So the Lord is at work. He is going. He is moving through them. And God is giving victory after victory. And so then there comes a time when the land has been conquered and people begin settling in the land and calling it their own. But God, he warned them. He told them not to turn away, not to go after the Baals and false gods and to not fear them. But there came a time when Joshua dies. The people that saw the things that happened in Egypt, the things that they saw, all the miracles they heard, and then seeing how God worked in them, those people died. And so here's the new generation. It says that they stepped away from the Lord. So God raises up judges. And so a few judges pass by, and we meet a man by the name of Gideon. So I just want to share a few thoughts that I have on this man, the life that he lived, and the work that God did in him, and just the things that we can take for ourselves uh, from the Scriptures uh, so I'd like to start, begin by reading Judges chapter 6, uh, verse 7. So at this point, it says that the Midianites, they've already, for seven years, they've been oppressing the people of Israel. They're just everywhere. 
And there's so much of them. And they're taking all of their crop, destroying it, taking all of their cattle. And there's nowhere for them to go. They're hiding. The Israelites are in hiding. And then it says in verse 7, When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. And you drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall fear, I shall not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of, the Midian, of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And you will strike the Midianites as one man. Very powerful scripture. Very powerful. God's people have turned away from him. They've went away. No interest in God. They have other things that they have to do. Other gods to have relationships with. Other gods to serve. That did nothing for them. But they were gone. They found satisfaction there. And God, he gave them over into the enemy's hands. And then they cry out. They remember, well, listen, there was God who, who brought us to this place. They cry out. So God sends a prophet, unknown prophet. He comes and he tells the people, look, this is what I was talking about all this time. It's come. You guys have turned away from me. You guys have walked away from me. And then we get this new picture where there's an angel and there's Gideon. So it says that Gideon, he's beating out the wheat in the wine press. So if you look, actually, I had to look at pictures, no idea what this is like. But to actually beat wheat, you don't do it in a wine press. A wine press kind of has, it's like a cavity in the earth and it's kind of hidden. You can't really see it. But uh, a thre the threshing floor to actually be beating the wheat is just in, you know, clear view where it's just a big open field and there's a lot of open space to do it. So this is a man who, he's afraid. He's terrified. I mean, you can only imagine. Everything is telling him that the enemy is going to come and destroy and take everything he has. So he's just trying to get something. And so he's going and he's beating this wheat and hiding. And God comes and he says, oh, mighty man of valor. So there's a few things you automatically question. Why did God come to Gideon? Because later on, if you read that, the people of Gideon, they had an altar that was dedicated to Baal. So there was a reason why God comes to Gideon. There's a difference between him and the other people. We don't know exactly what it was. We don't know. Maybe it was when that prophet came. Gideon understood that, look, we did something really wrong. And he gave up all of those idols. And he was just trying to figure out what's going on. He's questioning in his heart, why is this happening? Why is everything so confusing? Why is the enemy conquering us? We're the people of God. And then the angel comes while he's in hiding, while he's afraid. He has no idea what's going to happen. And he says, oh, mighty man of valor. So the first impulse that 
Gideon gets, he starts asking a lot of questions. Why is this happening? Does that ever remind you of anyone? Does it remind you of yourself? Um, I know that, that's me a lot of times. Why do certain things happen in our lives? Why do certain things happen in our world? Imagine Gideon. He's saying, listen, if God is with us, then why are we being oppressed? Why is this happening? What are the, what, what's the world that we live in today? Especially in the Seattle area. You know, I go to church in the heart of Seattle, downtown Seattle. You guys don't see all of that every day. I'm sure, you know, when you go to Pike Place once in a while, you kind of see the weird people. I see them every week. And it just seems like, God, what is going on? How did this happen? It just seemed like a couple years ago the world was normal. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it seemed like they knew what was right from wrong. The same kind of cry. What's going on? And God's saying, hey, listen, take that and go. I'm sending you. And guess what Gideon does? He says, listen, I'm the smallest. My family, I mean, I'm, I'm a nobody. Who can I be to go and fight for the Lord? God, you got to go send someone that's not hiding in a wine press to try to just get a little bit of food. God, you got to send someone who's bold, who has it all together. God, figure something out. Get someone that actually knows what they're doing and not hiding somewhere. But God calls Gideon, even though he seemed to be unqualified. And one of the first points that I'd like to make, that God, he calls the unqualified. And you can read that in Corinthians when it talks about who God called, who God brings to himself. I'd like to read that. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, verse 26 to 29. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to, to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God calls Gideon, not because of his, you know, great abilities, because he was just the best of the best, but he saw something in him. He saw a spirit that would be willing to go, a dedicated spirit. And later we actually see this. This is a man that followed through. God saw something more than just we as men and women, what we see on the outside, right? Even Samuel had this. When he goes to anoint the king, who does he go to first? He sees David old, oh, David's older brother. He said, Lord, I see a king in front of me. He has all of the looks. He has everything. Lord, I will anoint him here. And then what does God say? He says, listen, I don't look at how man looks. I don't look on the outside. I don't look at the picture that you see. I look at the heart. That's what qualifies someone, a service to me, the heart, something that is unseen, something that no one can see from the outside, but only God himself can see and he knows it better than even we do even the heart that we have he knows it better than we do and God raises up David and David becomes a mighty man of God and so the very first thing God is calling us the unqualified and so it seems like God what do I have what abilities can I give you what can I do for your glory what, what what's good about me can someone raise their hand and be like, you know what? It makes sense for God to choose me. My family, I, I'm part of the Trump lineage. There's a lot that I have going on for me. 
Or I have, uh, you know, my dad in Ukraine, he has a really huge business. He pretty much rules Ukraine. So it makes sense why God would choose me. I pretty much rule half of Ukraine. No, I think for the most part, we're just ordinary people. Just people that are just living life. Going to church every Sunday. There's nothing wonderful about us that stands out. To the world, it would seem like there's nothing special. But see, God sees something beautiful in that. See, out of something that seems like nothing, he makes something. And it's not because of us, but it is because of him and his grace. God is calling us as believers in an area today that is very liberal, very progressive. An area where it's just sin is everywhere. Look, this is the point where God is calling us to go. There is the oppressor who wants to destroy everything there is. And it's easy to sit back and be like, hey, pastor got it all under control. He's going to pray to God and he's going to do his work. But who goes to the schools? Who goes to the workplaces? Who is in the society? It's us. It's you. It's you. It's all of us. We're in these places surrounded by these people that have no idea who Jesus is. And you say, well, what can I do? What can I do? What can I say? See, this is the beautiful thing. I love about this. So Gideon says that. He's like, so what, what's there about me? I, I have nothing. See, God says, listen, but I will be with you. That's powerful. God's not sending you and saying, listen, you got it all under control. Figure it out. No, I will be there with you. It is not us that qualifies, but God that gives the qualification. When God is with us, then suddenly we become the qualified. Because there is the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives that it is guiding us. It is taking us to a place that we may not fully understand. And so in the places that we are, and the people that we talk with, it is not us anymore, but it is God who is with us that is able to make an impact. And so it seems like, all right, we're good. So we're just going to wait. We're just going to wait. No, there's, there's more to it. Knowing that you're called and knowing that there's something to be done. What do we know? And just as Bogdan was talking about, this is a prayer service. And one of the emphasis that I would like to place, God wants a heart that seeks after him, a heart that truly desires his presence, to get to know him. You know, a lot of times we, we think that our ministry, I know I had this phase in my life and it was a learning experience. I thought my ministry was my relationship with God. What I do in church, what I, when I'm playing the piano for the choir, Lord, this is for you. This is it. Like, what else do you want from me? Or whether I was out singing with the worship group and saying, well, that's it. This is it. God wants a personal relationship with you. God wants to know who you are. And he wants the same. He wants to have us know what makes his heart beat. That's God's desire for us when he is the one that nurtures us, that molds us, shapes us into the image that he wants to see, and then he sends us into the place that he wants us to be in. So it has nothing to do with us, nothing to do with my abilities, but it is all the working of Christ's grace within our hearts. But it all starts with seeking God, seeking his face. And the next part that really emphasized that with Gideon if you go to verse 25 of the same chapter, it says, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven, year old, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal 
that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. See, there was something there in that place that was wicked, that was unrighteous, that was unclean. And God says, listen, Gideon, you got to go. You got to take out this. You got to take out this altar. And I thought about it. Why is he going at night? And I understand, you know, because of fear, but why? Because imagine if he goes out in the daytime. If he goes out in the daytime, everyone's just hanging out outside, and he suddenly starts breaking down this altar. I can guarantee you they would not sit back and be like, wow, okay, well, when he's done with this, we'll deal with him. But Lord, the Lord called him to go and do this work, and he knew that he had to do it at any cost necessary. He knew that the Lord spoke. He had to do from his part everything that he can do, no matter the circumstance. Even if that means I got to go at night, look, I'm going to do what I have to do to make sure that the will of God is fulfilled, that that which God has called me to do, it becomes a reality here through me. Look, there are things that God is calling us towards. He is calling us to seek righteousness, to break down the altars, and not just at our convenience, and not do it when it works out, but do it at any cost necessary, to do what you can do, to seek the face of God at any cost necessary. Not just when it's easy, not just on, at youth service. And this is beautiful. This is great. The Bible calls us to gather together, but this is not where it ends. God calls us to have a relationship with us, to seek him, to desire him, to seek righteousness so that everything unnecessary in our lives would be changed and we can be an impact on the people that surround us and there could be change through us on those around, through your vessel. Does that make sense? God wants to do a work through us, but he looks for a heart that he can use. You don't have to be talented. You don't have to have something super amazing, but you have to have a heart that is willing. And a lot of times we, you know, we do these things and we think this is so good. God is working through me. And I, I admit I've had moments like that in my life, and I think that is one of the times when God begins working. You're like, man, nu ya chilevek, you know? Ever had that happen to you? You're praying and you hear someone's praying a little quieter, but you're praying loud and you're like, Господи, слава тебе, что я такой близкий с тобою. You know, Господи, слава тебе, что ты делаешь такие работы в моей жизни, в моем сердце. You know, you're so good like him, like, you know, he's still getting there. But me, you know, Lord, we're on another level. You know, that, that happens in life. Can you imagine Gideon? He goes out. We all know the story, right? God calls him and he says, look, 32,000, set them apart. Or call the man, 32,000, bam, they're there. Lord, this is still, you know, it's not, the, the ratio isn't that good, 135,000 to 32,000, but we can make this work. We'll figure something out. You know, we'll do what we need to do. God says, no, this is too much. Okay, send everyone who's afraid to go home. Okay, 10,000, God, that's pretty good. You know, like, we, the ratio is pretty big, but, you know, we'll figure something out. Too much. Send people home. 300 men. You look at the ratio, 450 Midianites to one Israelite. Can you imagine that? Samson, when he had one victory of a thousand men, that was huge. You look at David's mighty men. One of them, he destroyed or he killed 800 men. And we just read about a few of these men. Can you imagine? 
this has to be 300 men that are able to pull the weight of 450 guys. And that's assuming that each guy takes one guy. It doesn't make sense. How in the world? But then at the end of it, when they break the jars, when they light the torches, there's confusion. They have no idea what's going on. They start killing each other. Then they run away. And if you look, Gideon, he goes. He pursues them. He destroys them. Gideon, Slava Gospodu, you're a good guy. You have so much going for you. Gideon, you know what? We want to do something with you. And this is what they wanted to do. If you look, Judges 8, 22 and 23. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. This was a point when Gideon could have totally taken advantage of the work of God in his life. He could have said, you're right. You're right. Brothers, I agree. Let's have, we'll figure something out. Yeah, I'll be king. We'll figure out the structure later. But let's do it. Let's crown me right now. Everything will be great. He had every right to it. It would seem from a physical person, you know, you're looking at him and be like, well, he led that. He did that. Everything's good. But look, Gideon understands that this was not me. I am the least of my family. There is nothing good about me. But there was a Lord in heaven who came and he gave victory. And at the end of it, he glorified God. That's powerful. Through everything that he did, right? So it seems, Gideon, this is you. This is your work. You did this. You're the one that led these men. You're the one that did all of this. He says, listen, I'm not going to rule over you. But God, he's going to rule over you. That's what we're called to do in our lives. God is seeking a relationship with us to call us, even though we are unqualified, to give us his presence, to give us his Holy Spirit, to lead us, to guide us, to seek him, to seek righteousness. And so at the end of it all, guess what it's all about? It's for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, America needs Jesus right now. And we are called to go and be the difference makers. We're the ones that are called to go and be the change in this world. But look, that's not for your glory. That's not so I can come and be like, Bogdan, man, you brought a guy to church and he repented. Great job. No, it is because Jesus is doing a work through your vessel, through you, through us. That is the power of the gospel. It's not about you. It's not about what I can do. It's not about what we can do. It's about what God can do through us. And through that, be glorified. That's the power of the work of Christ. One man that I want us to look at before I close. My time has run up. One man, and this really shakes me. This is John 12, uh, 12, 9, 10, 11. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So imagine this, Lazarus is dead, right? He's dead, he's in the grave, like, he is literally someone that you'd want to see, like, this is a dead man walking, now he's alive, something you'd want to see. And because of his testimony, because of what Christ did in his life, people came to Christ and Christ was glorified. Can you believe that? 
people wanted to see him and they said wow I see that if Christ was able to do this in your life to take a dead man and bring him to life this Jesus is alive look that is exactly what Christ did with us he took us out of death and brought us into life through him through his uh, grace through the blood of Christ he did that for us he called us who were unqualified made us qualified by his grace and look that is for his glory and for his honor for his name to be glorified. That is what we are called to do, to be living testimonies of what Christ did in our hearts. Listen, I did this, I did this, but look, I have been changed. I am a new man, I am a new woman, not because there's something good in me, but because Jesus is alive and he changes hearts. Church, amen? That is the power of the gospel and that is the power that we live in. Look, it is time to come and see Christ once again. It is time to come and desire his face. I think we've gone through this phase in, in our Christianity, at least I have, where it seems like you just want to make sure that you're just serving at some point, and that's good. A lot of people don't understand me when I say that. It, we're supposed to serve. That's what we're called to do. But they missed the whole point of it. Look, we are called to have power in the grace of God. To have power in Christ, power through the Holy Spirit, to go and conquer, to live victoriously over sin. And to be able to make a difference in this world. It seems like today, a lot of times, and just in a general note, it seems like a lot of times the world can have more of an impact on the church than did the church have an impact on the world. And I think it's time to get out of that. I think it's time to begin seeking the face of God. Understand that we have been called for something greater than just, you know, simple Christianity. So a lot of people would put it, come on Sunday. Try to be a good person. Don't do bad. And all those things are great, but there's more. Christ called us to go and be his witnesses, to be his disciples, and to make disciples. So my call today to you is if, first of all, if you have not experienced the grace of God, you know, you're just kind of going through, scared, no idea. How's everything supposed to be? There's nothing I can do. You need the power of God in your life. You need God to be with you. You need his spirit to come and baptize you and transform your life radically. And you need to begin seeking the face of God, seeking him in prayer. And God will begin changing things. Look, God is real. He will change things in our hearts, in our lives, and through us. And ultimately, at the end of it, the name of Jesus will be praised and glorified. Amen? Youth, let us stand. Let us seek the face of God so that we could be those Gideons that will go and be victorious in the name of the mighty Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. He deserves the glory. Amen. Um, he deserves the glory. Praise God for the word. You know, it's very challenging to be faithful in the ordinary things. And we all inclined to want something supernatural, something big and, and making a big impact and, and do it today. Um, we're all inclined to do that. We all seek to do that. We all seek quick results. Um, you know, recently we took out a microwave from our house. We stopped using the microwave altogether it's so convenient, you know, you just put it in there, two minutes, it's done. But the long-term effect is, is bad. Um, 
some things that we do today, some things and choices that we make today on an everyday basis will have a very long-term effect in our life. And if I choose today to be faithful in the ordinary, that's when God comes and chooses a person that is faithful in the ordinary. He's faithful with ordinary people. He's faithful with his time in his closet, time of prayer. God comes and he takes that person and he uses him for the extraordinary things. The problem with us, the problem with me, having a hard time believing that that's the path. I'm having a hard time putting myself on the altar because I enjoy the quickness of the microwave. I like it to, to get things done right now. I like to pray and get the results. But that's not the Christianity Christ has called us to. And if I would ask you today, what is your prayer habits are like on a daily basis? Or if I would ask you what's your Bible reading, journaling is on a daily basis? You know, we can answer that to ourselves. Um, but I encourage you to reconsider how we walk with Christ. If we really want to be used by God, just like Vlad was speaking, God needs people that are grounded in His Word. That He would not be afraid to send into this world for big things and lose them because of the lust, because of the pride and other things. He is looking for the man and woman of God that are grounded in His Word, that are faithful, that He can rely on. Amen. I'm going to read from Galatians. I'm going to read the chapter, or not the whole chapter. We're going to be praying for the needs. It's a wonderful time. This is a prayer. And, and we have a guest that will be speaking right after me. У нас есть гость сегодня с Молдавии, с моего города. С моего города гость, который... Я очень рад, что вы здесь сегодня. Welcome. Добро пожаловать. I believe God will be uh, continue speaking to us today. But we will be praying for needs. And I would ask you to pray for me and for my wife, please, if you could. Next Tuesday we have a scheduled... Um, and delivery um, of our third son. So I, I'm really in need of your prayers. Would you pray for me? Um, I would really appreciate your prayers. Um, keep my family in your prayers because um, we need them. Thank you. Thank you. And we will be praying for all the needs. But I'm going to read just one verse before we do stand up and pray. Um, this is Galatians chapter 3 that we read today, verse 29. 
If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. One of the promises that Jesus Christ made, he said to the disciples, he told them, yet you haven't asked anything in my name, but I am going to my Father. I am going to my Father to intercede in your behalf. Ask in my name. You know, we're coming close to the elections, to the midterm elections. It's on November 6th. If you qualify to vote, please do vote. Pastorspeak.com will help you to mark those boxes. Besides the point, probably some of you got the calls from activists that advertise this or that candidate. And they call you and they talk to you about other candidates, how bad they are and how good this candidate is. And guess what? They're not ashamed. And they're trying to choose a representative that will represent you or them in the Congress. Right? They're trying to choose a person that will represent their values, what they value in the Congress. My dear, my dear friends, our representative is Jesus Christ. He represents us in the throne room of God. And he intercedes on your behalf and on my behalf. And he said, until now you haven't asked anything in my name. But now ask in my name. And you will receive. Do you have faith? But when you ask in the name of Jesus Christ, He hears you and He wants to answer. And my prayer, my prayer today and my desire today, that we come to Him with faith because we are heirs of the promise, the promise of Jesus Christ. Amen. Слава Богу, братья и сестры, я рад быть среди вас. Я являюсь пастором церкви города Бельцы, это церковь Свет Миру из Молдовы. Я рад быть вместе с, нами, с вами на это служение, это молодежное служение. Когда-то я был молодежным лидером, и я рад тому, что... Вы учите и Слово Божие, как проповедовать людям неверующих, которые живут без Иисуса. Если у вас есть Библия, откройте, пожалуйста, это Евангелие от Луки, вторая глава, начиная с 41 стиха. Евангелие от Луки, вторая глава, начиная с 41 стиха. Каждый год родители его ходили в Иерусалим на праздник Пасхи. И когда он был 12 лет, пришли они также по обычаю в Иерусалим на праздник. Когда же по окончании дней праздника возвращались, остался отрок Иисус в Иерусалиме. И не заметили того Иосиф и матерь его, но думали, что он идет с другими. Пройдя же дневной день, стали искать его между родственниками и знакомыми. И не найдя его, возвратились в Иерусалиме, ища его. 
через три дня нашли его в храме, сидящего посреди учителей, слушающего их, спрашивающего их. Все, слушавшие его, дивились разуму и ответам его. И, увидев его, удивились, и матерь его сказала ему, «Чада, что ты сделал с нами? Вот отец твой и я с великой скорбью искали тебя». Он сказал им, «Зачем было вам искать меня? Или вы не знали, что мне должно быть в том, что принадлежит отцу моему? Аминь». Когда мы читаем это местописание, для меня лично, когда я читаю о Иосифе и Марии, я думаю, что они представляют нас, верующих людей. Почему? Потому что, когда мы считаем, что у них был обычай, обычай, чтобы они были в Иерусалиме, в Храме Божьем, один раз в году. И, знаете, они шли вместе с Иисусом. Но по окончании праздника они возвращались домой, но уже без Иисуса. Много раз в нашей жизни мы что-то теряем. Мы теряем мир с Богом, мы теряем общение с Богом. И иногда, знаете, мы теряем Иисуса. И вроде бы э, задаем вопрос, ну как это возможно, терять Иисуса? Но мы видим, что Иосиф и Мария, они были спокойны. Значит, прошел день, и вроде бы все хорошо. Они возвращались домой, возможно, у них были планы. Но они заметили, что нету Иисуса. И они начали искать. Прошло три дня. Они нашли Иисуса. И очень важно в нашей жизни, когда мы теряем что-то духовно, чтобы мы не были спокойными, но чтобы мы начали искать того, что теряли. Если нет хорошего общения с Богом, чтобы мы начали искать это общение. Если мы не читали несколько дней Библию, чтобы мы возвращались к этому, чтобы не были спокойными. Смотрим, Иосиф и Мария, они искали до того момента, пока не нашли. И когда они нашли Иисуса, взяли и вернулись домой вместе с Иисусом. И поэтому я хочу, чтобы каждый действительно понял, что очень важно жить с Иисусом. Очень важно, чтобы в каждый день чтобы в каждый день. Знаете, иногда мы думаем, ну что это три дня? И я хочу задавать вопрос, сколько дней мы прожили нашу жизнь без Иисуса? Сколько времени просто мы живем, но без Иисуса? Сколько времени просто мы не думаем о Иисусе, о Боге, о Слове Божьем? Возможно, мы размышляем о другом. Возможно, мы планируем что-то другое. Но нет Иисуса. И поэтому... Где-то нужно остановиться. Иосиф и Мария, они могли продолжать свой путь, думая, что ну, он найдется. Но они остановились. В один момент они остановились. И начали искать Иисуса, пока не нашли. Потом, когда я смотрю на, на остальных, тут написано, что были родственники, были знакомые и другие. Когда я читаю о этих людей, это, это люди, которые живут без Бога. Почему? Потому что, когда Иосиф и Мария начали искать Иисуса, они спрашивали, нет Иисуса среди вас? Не было Иисуса там. 
И потом я вижу, что они не начали искать вместе с Марией и Иосифом. Они продолжали свой путь, потому что им не нужен был Иисус. Они не переживали, что, что нет Иисуса среди них. Они продолжали свой путь. Возможно, они общались да, между ними, там были другие темы, но они не говорили о Иисусе. Они спрашивали, а где может быть Иисус? Они могли возвращаться с, с, Ио, с Иосифом и Марией, искать Иисуса, но нет, не было такое. Они продолжали идти по своему пути без Иисуса. Без Иисуса. И когда мы читаем о Иисусе, я хочу, чтобы мы взяли урок, потому что Иисус был в храме, и это очень важно. Иисус мог, значит, ему было 12 лет, почти подросток, он мог быть где-то с ребятами, поиграть где-то, да, провести время, но он был в храме, и это вот очень важно. И я хочу ободрить каждого из, из вас, чтобы нашли время, чтобы были в храме Божьем что были в Доме Божьем, там, где есть присутствие Бога, там, где, где, где собирается народ Божий, там, где читается Слово Божье, там, где Дух Святой говорит нам. И следующее, то, что мы можем учить от Иисуса. Иисус слушал. Но было интересно, три дня просто слушать то, что говорят священники. Слушать, потому что там говорили о Боге. И Он слушал, слушал Слово Божье. И после этого написано, что Иисус задавал вопросы. И в нашей жизни очень важно, есть время, когда мы должны слушать, есть время, когда мы должны принимать духовную пищу, есть время, когда мы растем духовно, и мы слушаем Слово Божье, мы читаем Слово Божье. Потом у нас появляются вопросы, и мы должны задавать эти вопросы служителям, лидерам молодежи, возможно, нашим родителям. Есть вопросы. Что мне нужно делать? Знаете, в один день подошли к Петру, и люди спрашивали, что нам нужно делать? И Петр сказал им, вам нужно покаяться. Вам нужно водное крещение. Вам нужно духовное крещение. Дух Святой сойдет на вас. И знаете, эти вопросы, которые нужны нам, Иисус задавал вопросы. Но Иисус не остановился здесь. Интересно, что написано, что Иисус отвечал на вопросы. Почему? И все дивились, насколько Иисус знает ответ на вопросы. На вопросы. То, что я хотел сказать, что есть время, когда мы слушаем, есть время, когда мы задаем вопросы, но есть время, приходит время, когда мы уже должны отвечать на вопросы. Кому? Есть люди, которые живут без Бога которые, возможно, у них есть вопросы. Есть молодежь, которые живут без Иисуса. У них есть вопросы. И мы должны уже быть готовы, чтобы ответить на, на их вопросы, чтобы говорить им о Иисусе, чтобы говорить им, что, что есть спасение. И когда они спрашивают, а, а что мне нужно делать? Прийти к Богу, прийти к Иисусу, покаяться и служить Богу. Нужно быть уже готовым, чтобы отвечать на, на, на вопросы. И пусть Господь благословит. И я хочу закончить с, с короткой свидетельством. Где-то 24 года назад я принял Иисуса Христа как Бога, как личного Спасителя. И когда я покаялся, я родился в неверующих семье, семей. И знаете, у меня были друзья, но у меня был самый хороший друг, 
И после того, как я покаялся, я купил Библию и пошел к нему домой и подарил Библию. Потому что он был хорошим другом моим. Мы учились вместе в школе. Он был самым хорошим учеником из класса. Он был отличником, он любил читать книги. И я подумал, если я подарю ему Библию, он просчет Библию, он покается и будет хорошим проповедником. Хорошим проповедником. И знаете, я подарил ему Библию. Прошло время, месяц. Я встретил его, я спрашиваю, ты прочитал Библию? Он говорит, я не могу читать. Что-то мне непонятно. Мне непонятно. И я много раз встречался с ним и говорил о Боге. И знаете, прошло время, я учился в Бельской школе, в Чешневе, потом вернулся в Бельцах. Вместе с братьями начали служить там в церкви, чтобы наседать, чтобы работать над открытием новой церкви. И начали работать. И в один день мне позвонили родители мои и говорят, Сергей, знаешь, что Виталий, твой друг, он в больнице, ты должен посетить его. Он сильно заболел. И я подумал, хорошо, завтра. На второй день мне звонят родители и говорят, тебе нужно посетить, потому что он в больнице, он серьезно болеет. И я подумал, ну, завтра. И знаете, на третий день мне позвонили, сказали, что он ушел из жизни. Нету. И знаете, с того момента я, я много думал, что иногда э, у нас нет времени для неверующих людей. Мы очень заняты. Я был молодым проповедником, я был очень занятым э, в Доме Божьем. Я строил Дом Божий. Я занимался евангелизацией. Но много, много раз думал, если бы нашел бы время, возможно, он бы покаялся. Не знаю, если Бог бы исцелил его, но, возможно, он бы покаялся, принял Иисуса, но он ушел из жизни. Ушел из жизни. И то, что я бы хотел ободрить, есть люди. И я, я говорил о том, что родственники, те, которые были знакомы, представляют тех людей, которые живут без Бога. И они идут по, по, по своему пути, но без Иисуса. Без Иисуса. И я думаю, что в этом городе есть многие, которые нуждаются в Иисусе. И знаете, у вас есть все для того, чтобы вы говорили им о Боге. Вы очень хорошо говорите на английском языке. Очень хорошо. И вы можете нести благую весть молодым, которые нуждаются в Иисусе. Нуждаются в Иисусе. И поэтому пусть Господь благословит всех нас. И чтобы, если мы теряем что-то духовно, давайте, чтобы вернемся обратно, чтобы искать опять Иисуса, Бога. И следующее, чтобы нести благую весть тем, которые не знают Бога. Аминь.